listening to Buggy Talk, where some of your favorite authors, friends, and guests explore the simpler side of life. Here's your host, Amish fiction author, Tracy Fertikowski. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Buggy Talk. I'm your host, Tracy Fredikowski. Each week, I bring you the story behind the stories along with the storytellers. For this week's episode, we have USA Today's best-selling author, Lori Lowe, and she has more than 120 books in print and more than 10 million copies in circulation, including fiction and nonfiction for kids and adults. Seven of her novels have been optioned for movies and additional releases will hit the shelves between now and 2021. Wow, Lori, you've been busy. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am doing wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have spent some time this past week doing my interview research, and I see you have two Christmas collections you're working on, Mistletoe and Murder and the Amish Christmas Miracles Collection. Plus, you have a third book in your um, Amish series, A Little Child Shall Leave Them. Plus, you're doing a novella anthology with Shelley Shepard Gray and Rachel Good. I'd say you are a woman that is super busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't like to let any grass grow under my feet, you know? But <laughs> first, I wanted to thank you really, really thank you a lot for inviting me. I'm honored to be here. Well, I can't tell you how honored I'm to have you here. You are an author that I have followed for a, a good long time, and you've added quite a few books in the Amish um, arena. So I can imagine that our listeners are just as excited to have you here. Before we dig into some of your projects, I want, I always like to give our listeners an inside or a behind the scenes look at our author. So I'm going to ask you a few questions that have to do with your writing career. The first being, when did you first consider yourself a writer? Well, it was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> no, no, seriously. It was the mid eighties and I had been writing these fun little essays for free for the sun section of the Baltimore Sun Papers. And about a half a dozen or so little essays in, the editor asked me to uh, write one. I don't even remember the topic, but she asked me to write one. And it wasn't a literal assignment, so she paid me. And after that one came out, I got some letters to the editor response. She assigned another and another. And I think cashing the checks is what made me feel like a real writer. So <laughs> I, I have to agree, you know, the very first paid writing assignment I got was for um, a Simple Living magazine and they paid me $500 for an article wow. and I thought I had, I thought I had won the lottery when I <laughs> wrote that article and, and, and it's true. Once you cash a check after your writing that you thought, oh, this is just a little side hobby, you know, or something I like to do, but when, yeah. somebody, when somebody pays you for it, it's like, oh. I think I could make a living at this. So yeah, I, I yeah. agree. I agree. So tell us what your rate, your writing space looks like. Well, that's a little tricky because I write all over the place. This will sound like a Dr. Seuss story. I write <laughs> in the family room. I write in the car. I write in the kitchen. I write in the dining room. I write in our cabin, which is where I am right now. Uh, long story short, I don't have an office anymore. So any place I lay my laptop down is my writing space. And that's probably wherever, wherever you feel creative for that day, right? If you're anything like any other author, 
wherever creativity sparks, you take advantage of it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So tell our, tell our listeners what a typical writing day looks like for you. Well, I'm an early riser. Five, six o'clock, my body says, get up out of bed, you lazy hog. Mm. And, I, and I listen. And so I start out, I make coffee, of course. <laughs> and then I check my email and I fool around on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest. And, and then I pull up the outline for my work in progress and read what I wrote yesterday and edit it and make some notes about, you know, maybe I need to jazz this up or tone that down or I need a little research on, on a particular element or I need to re-interview somebody because that's, that's pretty key is talking to the people who do the jobs my characters are doing. So I might need to dig into that or maybe somebody has a malady or a condition. So I'll do the research and then I get in and after looking at what I've edited from yesterday, I, I start the next scene. And after that, I, of course I edit it, but it's never edited to satisfy a writer. Right, you go right, back right, four right. or five, you know. So, but normally I'll work about four or five hours straight before taking a break. But some days, and I'm sure everybody agrees with this, anybody who's a writer, some days you just sit there till you're aching because you don't get up to use the bathroom. You don't get up to eat. You've, hopefully you've already thought to put up some water beside you, but <laughs> I can work for probably 14 hours straight without moving. And that's, that's hard on the old body, believe me, but it, it can be done. It can be done, but you know, if you're anything like I am, if those words are flowing, you don't want to stop them because there are days exactly. that the words don't come. So you take advantage of the days that the, the words flow on your fingertips quickly. Exactly. Exactly. So what famous author do you wish you could, could mentor you? Wow. That, uh, you know, I thought about this a lot. Um, and if I had to pick just one, because there are lots of, lots of good authors out there, and all of them have their unique talents that I would love to you know, import into my stuff. <laughs> exactly. I'd, have, I'd have to say it would be Dean Koontz. I probably read everything that guy ever wrote. Sometimes, because the publishers will change the covers, I've read some stuff that he wrote two or three times <laughs> and didn't realize until it got into the story. But yeah, I, I love that guy's writing. Everything about it is just stellar. I used to teach, um, teach writing, nonfiction and, and fiction at the community colleges and writers conferences and high school and, writing and college programs and stuff. And I often used his novel Watchers as an example of good character development and emotional connection between the reader and the writer and action reaction units. He's just a master at it. And it's so smooth and flawless that you don't notice that he's dragging you in a direction you didn't necessarily think you wanted to go, but you go anyway, because he's good at what he does. So yeah, I would say Dean Coates. I'm sorry, I have not heard of him before. What does he write? What, what genre? He, it's a, I guess it's a cross between mystery suspense and horror, but really low-key horror. It's scary stuff, but it's not necessarily like Dean, like uh, Stephen King will write mm -hmm. stuff, mm -hmm. these monsters and stuff. Uh, on the other hand, though, I'm thinking of a couple of stories that Dean wrote that do have, Watchers has a monster in it. So, uh, but he does it so well 
that by the end of the story, you're feeling sorry for this beast that the government <laughs> created. And when, when it gets its comeuppance, you're feeling like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you know he's good at what he does. If he yeah, can make you feel it, you know. But yeah, he's, he's, uh, that's what he does. He does, I don't know what to call his genre exactly. I like that because he, it's one of the reasons I admire him is he doesn't fit a particular category. And I, I think that's good. I, I wish I could do that, but I, I jumped into this romance category and kind of got typecast, <laughs> you know, and, and, I, and the only way to break out of it was to kind of, you know, stretch it a bit to do Amish fiction and stretch it to do kids fiction and whatever, but it's still the same basic type of story. Oh, so it, it would be nice to, to jump out of that that stereotypical role that I put myself, although I can't complain because I, I like writing and I like getting published and I like reader letters and stuff. So, so I'm not complaining. It's just that it'd be nice to be able to write something like he writes and have a whole different group of readers discover and me. And the only way you could do that is go under another pen name and, <laughs> you know, start, well, start the whole process over. Yeah. And I don't want to do that. So, yeah. So, <laughs> So would he, would he be the one author that you could, if you could, if you could ask one successful author, three questions about their writing or their writing process or books, would you ask him and what would your questions be? I would definitely ask him first, first I'd find out how in the world did you write so many different stories, so many different types of stories and every one of them had a go really gorgeous, really brilliant golden retriever in the story, and it fit. Because I love golden retrievers. In fact, my daughter just, just got a golden retriever puppy, and I, lo I love them. And I'd want to know, how did you get all this done? Because you want to play with the dog, right? It's sitting there looking <laughs> uh -huh. adorable, and, and it's got those big brown eyes. And you, how do you make yourself work when you'd rather throw a ball with the, with the dog? So, yeah, I'd want to ask him that. And how, which would lead right into how do you avoid distractions and concentrate on the work? Because I have, I don't know what, whether it's ADHD or just, just not enough brain matter functioning <laughs> at one time or what, but I do get easily distracted. I'll sit in, let's, let's say I'm in the family room and I'm in my recliner and the TV is on, Larry's watching news or whatever, and something will you know, jump up in my brain and I'll go, oh, you know what? You got clothes in the dryer. You know what <laughs> oh I mean? Goodness, it's yeah. like so, yeah, really fragmented, unrelated, stupid stuff that takes me away from the story. But until I get that done, I can't concentrate on the story. So I would have to ask him, how do you make yourself concentrate on the book? And then I think I'd ask him, how did you research all the government stuff that appears in so many of your books? Because he's got you know, all this subterfuge and uh, people might call them, a, um, what do they call those, uh, conspiracy theory stuff okay. in, in a lot of his stories. And he, he ties them into a hero who's running from something. And there's, there's usually a woman involved who's, at the start at least, you know, damsel in distress, and there might be a precocious kid, but there's always the golden retriever, which, for example, in, in the book I mentioned, Watchers, the golden retriever's name is Einstein, and the government has trained him to fight this monster, 
that they also created as a war tool. And the dog is so smart that he can communicate with people using Scrabble tiles. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and it sounds so far-fetched and when you hear people talk about because I was recommended the book by a friend who is also a Koontz fan. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to get into this story and I'm going to think, you're just crazy if you think anybody's going to buy this, Dean, but you buy it. <laughs> That's what I admire. And I guess, you know, I want to know how much of that stuff that you learned did you talk to people? Do you have friends in high places? Did you read books by whistleblowers? How did you get all this information? How much of it's fact? How much of it's fiction? And then I think finally, the third question I'd ask them is, how much input did you have in your cover designs? Because like I said, a couple of times the publishers have tricked me into buying the same book more than once because the cover changes. And I wonder, did you have, uh, you know, I would say to them, did you, did you have input on the second or third release of that novel or what? Because I have, I have to say I'm, I'm really blessed that in most cases I've had a lot of input on covers. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll send out that art fact sheet, right. Harold Quinn does it and Whitaker and Kensington, they all want to know what do you see is the, how do you want to attract readers through the cover? Right. And so I've been really blessed that way. And they go way beyond what I could have imagined and do the art departments are just amazing. But I guess I, I, you know, and then there'd be a whole lot of other dumb little questions like, did you spend your own money on PR? And what is your opinion of book signings? Do you think they helped? You, did you set a goal at the beginning of your career? I'm gonna write this many novels, then I'm gonna retire, whatever. And I guess I'd wanna know, is he gonna retire? Cause my plan is not to. Retire, yeah. Um, I just said yesterday, I found this really cool review on 50 hours and I hadn't seen it. And I was surprised because it was really, really, <laughs> I, don't, I had to get a pin and stick it in my temple because my head was too big to fit through the doors <laughs> because it was a really nice, really glowing review. And I was thinking seriously, being up here at the cabin and it's all calm and peaceful. And I was thinking I could do this more and enjoy it better if I wasn't also working. Mm -hmm. And then I read that and I said, no, you're not going to retire when they pry the keyboard from my cold dead hands that's, that's when i'll retire so yeah i think of yeah that too. well i think that those are wonderful questions and i'd like to be a little mouse in the corner when you ask him them because they were all things that i would want to know too mainly you no know, did you spend your own money you know advertising or marketing that's one that yeah. i like to know but i know that i will definitely put his name in our transcript so if anybody wants to um go look into one of his books they can right through right through the podcast uh transcript so let's move okay. on and talk about your novella anthology that you're working with uh, that you're doing with shelly shepherd gray and rachel good can you give us some insight into the theme of your section of that particular novella yeah the stories are all set in the lancaster area pennsylvania area we're we're you know amish is like a icon right and uh i was truly honored to be invited to join these two because they're just known for their terrific Amish stories. The story is set in the uh, Lancaster area and I didn't choose the setting, but I'm okay with it because I've set books there before. And I sort of kind of knew what it would look like. And uh, my story, I'm not sure if I've settled on a title yet, but I'm thinking something along the line, because he's a, uh, the hero is a, uh, uh, he can't read. And 
he has to learn to read, even though he's a businessman and very successful, he's figured out, and usually that's the case with people who are quote unquote illiterate, they don't know how to read, but they've, they're brilliant and they have to figure out ways to get around that. So that not only they can keep it a secret, but also they can, um, you know, make it, make it work. But yeah, this is set around Christmas time uh, as the other collections are. And um, I don't know what insights I could give you about it, except that he not only gets, he's had reasons not to have his, his faith was shaken and he has good reason for it. But through the story development, he, he, you know, as always, he comes to discover that he was a little bit foolish and, and he finds love. Maybe. Well, <laughs> when does, when does this anthology um, come out? I believe it's November. This I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. It's called, no, wait, this one. Um, see, now I'm getting confused. I've got so many <laughs> anthologies. This is the one you're yeah. doing with Shelly Shepard Gray and Rachel Good. Yeah, well, I'm doing a couple with them, so that's why oh, I'm, okay. I'm confused. But I think this one is um, Amish Christmas Twins, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, and the cover yeah. covers out, it's available for pre-order. And my story, that's the story I just described is a different story. It, it, the title of that one is The Blessing Jar, but the guy who can't read. Oh. And she uses the blessing jar as a, sort of a reward. Every time he has a problem with something, he puts it in the jar and she solves the problem, the reading problem, and teaches him to read. Uh, but in the one I'm doing with Shelly and Rachel, uh, that, one, that one is called Amish Christmas Twins. Is called, the title of my novella is Twins Times Two. And it's every, lots of twins. The mothers are twins. The, the two sets of boys are their sons and their twins. And <laughs> they get into all kinds of mischief and trouble. And their punishment is to do a deed because they've been doing it. They're 14 and they're too old to, be keep, to keep this childish mm -hmm. stuff up. So their punishment is after they've pretty much, um, they tr almost got gored by a bull whose name is Goliath. And the hero saves them from it and ends up gored himself. So while he's healing to make it up to him for breaking into his pasture and taunting his bull, the parents decide the boys need to do a good deed. So they assign him to work with this hero who is not kid friendly and he's a loner and he's not happy about it, but he goes along with it because he's, you know, that's what the plain people do. They, they cooperate. Right. And and the lessons the kids learn, what they have to do is, is gift a major thing to a needy family by Christmas. And the surprise, there's a lot of different surprises in how he teaches them to, to accomplish that. So, yeah, that's my story. Oh, well, okay. So that book is called The Amish Christmas Twins, and it is available right. for pre-order. And I'll make sure I put yep. the link in our transcripts. So that moves us on to your part in the Amish Christmas Miracles collection. Have you started to write that story yet? Yeah, that's the one I, I'm errantly described before. With okay. The, the, bless, the blessing, blessing star. Oh, the blessing yeah. star. Okay, yeah. perfect. And yes. what do you what do you hope that your the readers will take away from the story the blessings jar um, in the Amish Christmas Miracles collection? Well, all of us have something we don't do as well as we wish we we did, could. Uh, you know, a talent we haven't honed, or a, maybe it's a thing on your bucket list, or it's just something you you want to do and you just don't think you have the talent or the capability 
And this story, I hope, will teach people that even if you're in your mid-30s, as this hero is, and you have a major something like illiteracy, you can overcome it if you want to badly enough. And God's, God's help, whatever your failure is, God can fix that if you trust him enough and, and work hard enough, because he'll give you the strength to work and the time and everything you need will come to you if you ask for it. So that's what I hope they take away, that whatever their shortfall is, they can overcome it. Oh, that that's wonderful. Both of these stories sound amazing. And you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to Christmas just to snuggle up with, with both of both of these collections. And and how okay. fun and how fun is it to write a write a um a book with 14 other authors? You know, each one of us has our own little writing style. So yep. to bring all of these 14 authors together for one collection, that is going to be an amazing collection, don't you think? I do too. And, and the other collection that I'm working on, and I'm, I'm about to tie up that story. That one is called The Confession of John Doe. And it's for um, mistletoe and murder. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's got Nancy Mel and Rachel Good. And there's, there's the list of uh, uh, Kara Putman. There, we have a really the lineup is I'm amazed. They, they said, come and help us. Because I'm like, what? what? You don't need my help. You're all just fantastic on your own. But I'm I'm blessed to be included in that one, and I'm having a really good time writing this story. Because this guy is a is a criminal, literally a criminal, and he ends up uh, badly injured by his mob boss, for lack of a better term, at the moment, and he ends up in an Amish village, and. It'll feel to some people like it's uh, reminiscent of the movie Witness, but trust me, it's not. <laughs> the, only, the only common thing is there's an Englisher in the Amish village, and uh, things happen, and he, he writes his life by the end of the story. But oh that's all God. I'll say at this point. Yeah. <laughs> but that was, that was a lot of fun to write because it was a little bit out of my wheelhouse because I don't usually write murder mysteries, mm -hmm. but, but for this one, I... I pushed the envelope. Oh, wow. So, well, I'm looking forward to hearing from readers. Did, did I take too much out of the envelope or should I just have sealed it back up? <laughs> oh, there we go. Well, let me recap so our listeners can understand or, or remember. So you have uh, Mistletoes and Murder. You have the Amish, Christ, or Amish Twins Christmas. And you have the Amish Christmas Miracles Collection. All of them come out this fall, correct? I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I don't think any of them are slated for a next year release, but I, I'm excited about Christmas. <laughs> I'm excited yeah. <laughs> to meet each one of them. So let me finish up on a fun note, which I love to do, which really gets into um, our author's personal life. If you could choose three people to invite to a dinner party, who would they be and why? Uh, first, I would invite my maternal grandfather. He's sort of a hero. Uh, if, if not for having him, my dad's fine, don't get any, you know. But my grandfather was a war hero and he overcame a lot of obstacles to come to this country from Italy and start a new life. And, you know, he was a, a success in just about every way you could think. And I, so I would want to talk to him again. Uh, I think the other person would be my mom, because she's talented and she was talented in multiple ways. And we share 
she had multiple myeloma. I have multiple myeloma. It's incurable and it took her, but it was later in her life. She was in her mid eighties. So, you know, I'd want some advice, like what would you have done differently <laughs> to last a little longer? And then I think the third person, I know, I know a lot of people would say Jesus, of course I would like to meet Jesus, but I'd kind of save that till I'm gone. You know, and and meet him at the Golden Gates, like all the other people, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think the third person would be Thomas Jefferson, because oh, he's, yeah. he's taken a lot of heat these days with politics being what they are. And I'd like to know, what do you think of what's going on in the country today? As a founding father, what do you think? And that would be, that would be my third. Oh. I probably would have to keep all that to myself, because if I put it on Facebook, I'd probably get canceled. <laughs> yeah, but nevertheless, nevertheless, yeah, those would be my three. Oh, those are those are perfect people to invite to a dinner party. So, tell share something with our readers that the typical person wouldn't know about you. Well, I I could probably say that I used to sing for my supper, but I think a lot of people already know that, that I used to, I, I got on Greyhound buses with my guitar and a big trunk full of clothes and I traveled to different cities and I would, I would sit in the lounges where the piano lady would, would have sat and I'd sing and sing and sing and sing. And that's how I earned my living for three or four years. I think it was four. I was on the road a little bit with bands and stuff, but then my agent decided this would be a bit, and I, I did fine. I, I made money uh, and I learned how the IRS says you're supposed to save some of that for your taxes, you know, because <laughs> when you're like 18, 19 years old, what do you, you know, you get a big fat paycheck. Your, your, your friends are making at that time, minimum wage was a buck and a quarter an hour. Mm -hmm. And I was making a couple hundred dollars a week, which was above and beyond what they were making. And it was right. cash. Uh -huh. So I didn't think about it. Till, till, till the end of the year when somebody said, well, did you do your taxes? And I was like, what? So yeah, I, I learned a lot. Oh. So, well, see, anyway. I, did, I didn't know you used to be a singer. So not everybody will know that. So that was something perfect to find okay. out about you. Okay. So I know uh, you talked about one of your favorite authors um, earlier in our interview, but what book is currently on your bedside table? Um, hmm. I hate to do this, but it's 50 hours because I'm rereading it because I want to redo it and, and lengthen it and re-release it. So that's one of them. Uh, other than the Bible, um, right now, research books, you know, boring stuff about amnesia and how, how if you really break your thigh bone in a really serious way, how they put it together with pins and screws that kind of stuff is on my bedside table right now. So, yeah. So, so you're never, so you never stop working because you're always, even in your downtime, you're researching about a book to come, correct? Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, and I think anyone who's doing, you know, research like this for a book or article or whatever, it's fun stuff because you're learning about things because you go to a party and, and the conversation gets boring and somebody mentions tilt up construction. I can go, oh, I wrote an article about that <laughs> and I can actually comment on it and people look at you like you're insane, but they kind of already know that you wouldn't be a writer if you weren't a little bit crazy. Exactly. You know, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. You know I'm a, I'm a ghost writer in my day job. So I write all sorts of things, you know, things about, 
lawnmowers, (laughs) garden centers and interior designers. So, you know, your wheelhouse of the things that you know, because you've written for somebody else is always, is always huge. But what's great about it is once you learn that topic, you can, you can fold those, those topics into any story and and know what you're talking about because you've done extensive research on that topic. So I completely, completely agree with you. And it's not just the research. It's also the interviews you do with those people is like in, in one of the stories, it's one of the novels starts out with a, a air force pilot having to eject from his jet. So I wanted to describe the control panel. So I called the nearest air force base to Baltimore and I made arrangements to go up in an F 17. (laughs) Did you? And I will, I will never get on an amusement park ride again. Because he gave me the ride of my life, and I'll never forget it. So, yeah, I mean, those kind of things stick with you. They really, really stick with you. And, you know, there again, you're at a party, and the conversation gets dull, and you can say, well, yeah, well, I went up in a jet, and we did loops and dives, and, you know, my brain and my stomach are still up in the sky somewhere, but, you know, still. That is really cool. That really, that's cool. So is there anything you'd like to add um, or a special message to your readers since we have their captive, captivated um, attention? <laughs> well, first of all, if you hung around this long, thank you and God bless you. Uh, the other thing is I, I want to say a heartfelt thank you for their support. I mean, they buy the books and that's great because I couldn't keep doing it if they didn't you know, invest in me, right. the cost of a book. I also love the letters. So just like Dean Martin, I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember Dean Martin. At the end of his show, he used to say, keep those cards and letters coming, folks. And that's just how I feel. Every single letter I get, whether it's email or snail mail or it's a message on Facebook or something, I answer every single one personally. And I guess it's got to be up around 50 or 100,000 by now because 25 years in the business, you know. But I, I really, really enjoy communicating with them, which is one of the reasons I spend so much time on Facebook. People, people often ask me, how do you get any writing done? It seems like you're on Facebook 24 hours a day. And the truth is, I am on there a lot, but that's my reward. You finish a scene, you can reward yourself with a few minutes on Facebook. Right. So, but, but yeah, getting to know these readers personally, some of them I've met and they've become lifelong friends, but getting to know them in that kind of a way has been such a huge blessing because they, 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 when they share little tidbits about their lives, sometimes it spawns a story and I dedicate it to them. So it's, it's just been great. I mean, who, who in the, if I hadn't been a writer, I would have so much smaller a circle of friends because I wouldn't have met all these terrific people. Exactly. Exactly. Some of my, some of my best readers have become some of my best friends. So yeah. Yeah. Well, Lori, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us this week. And I look forward to reading all of your stories and all of the collections you're doing that come out this Christmas. And that wraps up this week's episode. Next week, we'll have Laura Bradford on as our guest and to talk about her latest project, along with her part in the Amish Christmas Miracles collection. So we'll see you next week on the Buggy Talk podcast.